Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with With daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, January 7th, 2021, people. I hope everybody is having a great week, and I hope everybody is ready for another loaded episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. We are officially into January. College football is coming to an end, so we are continuing to find that balance between college basketball and college football as we have the last few episodes, and I think you'll really, really, really enjoy this show. We are going to lead today's show. I almost forgot what day it was, but it's Wednesday night into Thursday. I hope everybody's having a great Thursday so far. We're going to lead Thursday's show, today's show, um, with, with, frankly, what happened on Wednesday night in college hoops. I do think there were a couple really interesting stories. Uh, there is a team that I believe is slowly starting to creep up in the conversation of they're not really Baylor and Gonzaga. Who is? No big deal. Those teams are the two dominant ones. But Baylor wins on Wednesday. But I also think that another team in the college basketball conversation Maybe better than people realize, and I want to give them a little bit of credit. We will also talk about the big game in the SEC, Tennessee and Arkansas. I thought it was a fun, exciting, uh, well-played SEC game. I think Arkansas fans might disagree with 20 turnovers in that game, but I'll tell you why I think there's reason for excitement for both fan bases, but also some frustration coming out of this game, even for Tennessee, who got a win. Then we're going to transition to some college football. Because obviously it's Thursday morning, college football championship game, if nothing crazy happens with Ohio State, will be played on Monday. And so I'm bringing on one of my favorite guests. I don't believe I've had him on this year in college football season, but I've had him on the past. His name is Ryan Fowler. He is a radio host in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he is one of just flat out one of my best college football resources. I don't think there's anybody that knows the Alabama football program better than Ryan Fowler. This guy is a wealth of knowledge, and he's a really funny guy. And we really talk about a lot of different dynamics around not only the national championship game, but Alabama. Is Jalen Waddle coming back? What does this season mean after last year when they got smoked by LSU? Uh, and all sorts of good stuff. Ryan Fowler, he's a really fun, entertaining guy. I really do think you'll like it, and he and I have a lot of fun when I go on his show as well. So if you want some college football, fast forward through the hoop stuff. But you should listen to the hoop stuff, but I'm just saying. You want college football, go to the back end. And then obviously on Monday's show, I'll give you a lot of thoughts, my thoughts personally, on the game itself. Uh, But before we get started, on today's show, and it's a big show, not to brag, big show, one of the best shows I've ever done, no big deal. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars on 
uh, iTunes. It really does help us move up the iTunes charts. If you want to make the New Year's resolution, if your New Year's resolution was to be nicer to everybody, be nicer to Torres and leave me a quick five stars. Uh, but go ahead and do that on iTunes. Also, make sure to follow on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Uh, and just make sure you're just following. I think we're going to have a couple really good guests here over the next couple weeks, starting today with Ryan Fowler. Uh, if all goes well, I have a big guest for the middle of next week, and we will roll on and on and on and on and on. But it is a fun time. It is a fun time if you love college sports. Uh, college football on Monday. We'll get to Ryan Fowler momentarily. But with that said, people, no more time to waste. Let's get into Wednesday night. And Wednesday night, actually turned into a really, really kind of fun night in college hoops. And we're getting to that point in the calendar where every single night we're going to just have some good hoops on our TV. And on Wednesday night, Baylor took care of business like Baylor does. They're awesome. They won by 15 against Oklahoma. Duke had to hold on for dear life like Duke does. I don't think they're very good this year. Uh, but there was one other topic outside of the Arkansas-Tennessee game, which we'll get into in a minute, that I think is worth digging into a little bit deeper. And that is the Michigan Wolverines. Not sure how much any of you have been paying attention to them, and we'll get into why it's okay if you haven't been momentarily. But Michigan is currently ranked number 10 in the country. They were 9-0 coming into the night, and they just beat Minnesota. They beat the brakes off Minnesota, okay? Minnesota is coming off a Dominant win over Michigan State last week. They beat Iowa at home on Christmas Day. It's number 16 in the country. They're playing well. Michigan beats them 82-57. to 25-point win for Michigan. And like I said, with the win, they improved to 10-0. They're 5-0 in the Big Ten. They are the only undefeated team in the Big Ten to this point. And I'll just ask you this. We are in the middle of a season where we're trying to figure out, okay, who is number three behind Gonzaga and Baylor? We all know that Gonzaga and Baylor are number one and number two, whatever order. If you think Baylor is better than Gonzaga, I'm not going to fight you. I think most people think Gonzaga is better. But when you start talking about who's number three, I think there's been a few teams that have been in that short conversation. Villanova has absolutely been in that conversation. They can't keep COVID out of their locker room, unfortunately. They haven't really played in like three weeks. Uh, Texas is making a move, but are they really on that level? Uh, Kansas had their moment in the sun. Wisconsin had their moment in the sun. But I'm just going to tell you right now, I think Michigan is absolutely in the short, short, short conversation of a team that is in that number three spot, might be the favorite or at the very least the best team in the Big Ten, and they are a team worth monitoring. Again, 10-0, and 5-0, the only undefeated team in the Big Ten at this point. But I also think when I kind of look at Michigan, I feel like nobody's talking about them, which is fine. That happens in college hoops sometimes. But I feel like it's also sort of reflective of where we are in college hoops right now. And it's funny because if you guys listen to this show, you know my buddy Nick Coffey comes on all the time. Nick is a great friend of mine. And I went on his radio show on, I guess it was Monday morning or Tuesday morning in Louisville. Uh, you can go back and listen to that. It was his show on 790KRD. Find his uh, podcast on his Twitter page. But Nick asked me point blank. He said, why does it feel like there's no buzz in college hoops this year? And I told him point blank, I said, I think it's a few reasons. I think one, those truly uber elite blue blood programs are kind of not very good this year. Duke had to hold on for dear life against Boston College to win, to improve to four and two, but they're not very good. Kentucky, we talk about plenty on this show. They're three and six right now. Can they turn a corner? North Carolina has struggled early. Uh, Arizona is kind of off the radar. They're not playing for an NCAA tournament bid this year. Kansas is good, but they don't have that Andrew Wiggins, even a Doka as a bouquet guy that you can kind of wrap your head around. And so I do think that's part of it. But I also think that college basketball, maybe more than any other uh, sport in our landscape, has been really impacted by what COVID has done to it. And by the way, two things. One, not going to go on a COVID rant, but two, I will explain how this gets back to Michigan basketball momentarily. But when I look at college basketball and I look at the landscape with COVID, what I see is something very simple. 
Like I said, I think college basketball has been hurt more than any other sport by just the start and stop weird nature of COVID, right? Where college football, yeah, your team might not be playing every weekend or your team might have to take a pause or your team might not be able to play on a, on a given weekend, but you tune in every Saturday. You know you are getting just about everybody else playing in college football, right? So you sit in front of the couch on a Saturday. You know you're getting Bama, Clemson, Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Clemson, I think I said, Ohio State, Michigan, whoever. You know when you tune in on a Saturday, you're getting Michigan and Ohio State and all those teams. Sunday, you know you're getting a bunch of great games. You know Monday night you're getting the NFL. You know Thursday night you're getting the NFL. Um, but college basketball, it's already a fragmented schedule that unless you're a diehard, it's really hard to follow. But you do have those tentpole events and moments to kind of wrap your head around and say, OK, it's officially college hoop season. I need to pay attention. You have the season opening Champions Classic, which, of course, is Kansas, Michigan State, Duke and Kentucky. You have the Maui Invitational, which leads right into the Thanksgiving holiday. You got the Big Ten ACC Challenge where you get the Cameron Crazies and you get North Carolina and you get Michigan State and you get Iowa and you get all those great venues. And we really haven't had any of that this year, right? The Champions Classic, it's usually the opening night. It was the second week this year. The Maui Invitational, it's not played in Maui. Uh, and it's in, it's in an arena with no fans in North Carolina, so it doesn't feel like the Maui Invitational. The Battle for Atlantis is played in South Dakota. And so you don't have those events that, again, you can wrap your head around if you're not a diehard college basketball fan and say, oh, man, college basketball season started. I got to get my head together. And so because of that, I think it's been hard to track, okay, who's good, who's not, who's this, who's that. Gonzaga's had a bunch of big games, but really outside of them, what have been the big games that everybody's been excited about in college hoops? There's been a few, but it's not that many. And so I think a lot of casual fans are having trouble kind of wrapping their head around college basketball. I should also mention that, by the way, there's so many programs you can't keep track of who's starting and who's stopping, right? Notre Dame in uh, football or Florida in football, if they have a COVID outbreak, they miss a week and they're back the following week. But in college basketball, it's like, man, like like my team, are they are they just not playing? Do they have a COVID problem? What's going on? Like, even as an example, my mom, you know, she lives in Connecticut. She watches UConn. And she said to me, she goes, I never know where they're playing because they've had two or three games that were supposed to be played that ended up getting canceled. So again, what you're probably sitting here thinking is, Torres, you just did a five-minute COVID rant. What does it have to do with Michigan basketball? Well, I think Michigan basketball, maybe more than any other program in college basketball, has been really hurt by the fact that no one knows what's going on in college hoops because we don't have those events and we don't have those dates and we don't have those times to kind of just jump into college basketball with two feet. As I look at Michigan, they didn't play in Maui. They didn't play in Atlantis. Uh, they didn't play in any of those events that they would normally play in. Heck, if you even go back to last year, they were in that battle for Atlantis, beat North Carolina, beat Gonzaga, and all of a sudden everyone's talking about Michigan. They obviously did play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but again, with no home arenas and, and it's just a weird schedule, you have trouble even figuring out who's playing in that event and when and who's playing who. And oh, by the way, Michigan's game in that event never ended up getting played because they were supposed to play, I forget, I think it was North Carolina State and NC State couldn't play. And so it's just been a crazy kind of quiet start to the season for Michigan. On top of that, I would also add, because of COVID, the schedules have gotten all screwed up where two of Michigan's five Big Ten games, you know when they were? One was on Christmas Day. I guarantee none of you watched that. And then the other one was on New Year's Eve, which I guarantee none of you watched that either. I mean, I hope you didn't. It was New Year's Eve. I hope you were rocking New Year's Eve with Ryan Seacrest or whatever you do. But I bring it up because it's like, if you haven't realized that Michigan is 10-0 and 5-0 and in the Big Ten... I don't blame you. How could you? They haven't played in any big event. They didn't play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And oh, by the way, uh, they played on Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. Tough to kind of follow a team unless you're a diehard Michigan fan. And so when I look at Michigan, I want to give them their due credit because they are right now playing as well as anybody in the best conference in college basketball. And what I also want to do, by the way, is tell you a little bit about them. 
first of all, they, they play just really good, sound, fundamental basketball, which is why I think they do have staying power. Now, we'll get into their schedule in a minute, but I do want to give them credit because they do the little things well. They're top 20 in the country in rebound margin. In other words, the, the amount of rebounds they get relative to the opponents. They're top 20 in field goal percentage defense. If you rebound really well and you defend really well, you're going to win a lot of games. On top of that, they got a freshman that you need to know named Hunter Dickinson. And it's really interesting, right? Because in this one-and-done era of you know all the freshmen before they arrive, I feel like this guy's really flying under the radar. This is a kid that's averaging 17 points per game, nine boards per game. He leads the team in both categories. And because he isn't this super big long-term NBA prospect like Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State, like Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga, like Evan Mobley at USC, I don't think people realize just how good this kid is. But I think you can make a legitimate case that when we're talking about Michigan now, because remember, I'm telling you Michigan's good. I'm just telling you. You don't have to listen if you don't want to. Wouldn't be the first time people don't listen to, boy, to your boy Torres. Uh, they're really good, and he has been maybe, I would say, the most impactful freshman in college basketball. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm not saying that he is the best NBA prospect because he isn't. But when you talk about the most impactful freshman in college basketball, Michigan has a kid named Hunter Dickinson, low post player, uh, old school, back to the basket center. He's probably a little bit better than I'm giving him credit for. But the point is, he's not the guy that jumps off the page. He's not the guy that has the 40-inch vertical leap. He's not the guy that throws behind the back passes. Because of it, I think it's getting lost under the radar. On top of that with Michigan, I want to give Juwan Howard, who is their coach, credit for something else. They actually lost a lot off last year's team. And it's funny because we live in this world where, one, we focus so much on the freshmen, but we're completely ignoring Michigan star freshman Hunter Dickinson. But beyond that, um, we are seeing a year in college basketball where maybe more than any other season in the history of the sport, continuity returning players matter, right? Baylor basically brought back their entire team except for you know, one starter, Freddie Gillespie. Gonzaga returns a bunch of players. Wisconsin, Creighton, uh, Iowa, Rutgers, on and on and on and on and on. Tennessee, the best teams are generally the ones that basically brought back everybody from last year. And while Michigan certainly has brought back key pieces, they also lost one of their best players, one of the best point guards in school history, Xavier Simpson, who was third in the country in assists last year, and a big guy named John Teske down low. And so when I look at Michigan, I think they're one in the very short conversation for who's number three in college basketball. But two, beyond that, I also don't think that Jawan Howard is getting enough credit because this isn't one of those teams that returns everybody off last year's roster. Like I said, they, were, they lost one of the best uh, point guards in school history. They lost um, you know, a, a center who averaged 12 and 7 for them down low. And so I just want to give Jawan Howard credit because I think right now when you're talking about in the short conversation for National Coach of the Year, I think to me right now, tonight, if I had a vote on, this, on January 7th, 2021, uh, about five, six weeks into the season with a bunch of weeks to go, Jawan Howard, the head coach of Michigan, would be my national coach of the year. Because when I look at his team, I don't even think I had Michigan in my preseason top 25. Gonzaga I had my, as my preseason national champion. Baylor, I think I had at number three. They were supposed to be good. They're really good. Same with Wisconsin, same with Rutgers, same with Iowa. I didn't have Michigan this good. And so if anything, I give Juwan Howard credit, and he would be my short conversation national coach of the year right now. Now, I do know what a lot of Big Ten fans will say, and I do think it's worth mentioning before we get to Arkansas, Tennessee. But the one thing I will say about uh, Michigan is that I, I think it's fair to say that they have not played the best teams in the Big Ten. It is really interesting. They're 10-0, 5-0 in the Big Ten. But they have not played Iowa. They have not played Wisconsin. They have not played Illinois. They have not played Rutgers. They have not played Indiana. Their five wins so far this season are against Penn State, who's not good, Nebraska, who's not good, Maryland, who's not good, Northwestern, we don't know. Minnesota is good, but it was at home. And so I do think it's fair to kind of sit back and say, okay, let's wait and see. Torres, you're giving them too much credit. You're doing the Torres thing where you go too fast, too furious, which sounds like a, 
a movie that was made 27 times. But like Torres, you're giving him too much credit too early. Listen, it's like I tell you, I can only do the show on the night that I'm recording. I'm doing the show tonight, and Michigan's awesome. So we will see as the conference schedule gets tougher. But I do want to give credit to Michigan because I do think they are probably, uh, I don't think people realize they're the only undefeated team in Big Ten play, and they are really, really, really good, really, really, really dangerous. And as I record here, I think, one, they're absolutely a team that is good enough to play into the final weekend of the season at the Final Four in Indianapolis. I think they're probably the number three team in the country behind Baylor and Gonzaga. All right, let's get into uh, what was really the only other marquee game of Wednesday night. Like I said, Baylor won convincingly. I'm not going to break down a 25-point win by Baylor. Um, I'm not going to break down Duke because they stink, and they've been stinking for a while. But I do want to talk about this Tennessee-Arkansas game because it was a really interesting matchup between two teams that desperately needed a win with both teams coming off a loss over the weekend. Tennessee, of course, lost at home to Alabama. Arkansas lost at home to Missouri. And the two teams played, and I think they're both very good teams, and we'll get into in a minute. Uh, But they did play at Thompson Bowling Arena, and the final score was... 79-74 volunteers. So Tennessee gets the win over Arkansas. And so a lot of people are yelling at me, screaming at me, Torres, what does it mean? Are my team good? Is my team bad? So let's get into it. And the first thing I would say is I thought for the most part it was a really fun, competitive, hard-fought SEC in-conference game, right? There are games that are that there are games that are close that aren't good. There are games like Minnesota, Michigan that aren't even competitive. This was a good, hard-fought game between two teams that came in knowing they needed a win and each battling to get it. I do want to start with Arkansas because, as I say often, uh, there's a lot of times where the better story is in the losing locker room, and I think in this case, the better story is with Arkansas. I think, first of all, if you listen to Monday's show, I talked a lot about this, but Arkansas is down a very key player. Uh, Justin Smith was their second-leading rebounder, Uh, starting power forward, a very important guy to what they do. And it showed on Saturday in the first game that he missed against Missouri. Arkansas lost, but more importantly, they just were terrible around the rim. They weren't very good on the boards. Jeremiah Tillman from Missouri abused them, and they missed conservatively. I don't know the exact number, but I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of like legitimately 20 layups. I think the number was actually 22, but they had so many opportunities around the rim and they just couldn't convert. And so while Arkansas did end up with the loss on on Tuesday night, I actually thought it was weirdly a step in the right direction. I know there's Arkansas fans that listen. I know you'll disagree. I know you'll get mad at me for saying it. How can you say that, Torres? We're one and two in the SEC. How can you say that? Well, first of all, I do think that one, we probably overvalued just how bad Saturday's loss was because if you look at that Arkansas game on Saturday, uh, they lost by 13, but again, they missed like 22 layups, right? You make half of them. You make 11 layups out of 22 that you missed. You win that game. So that's one. And two, what I liked about Arkansas is in this game, they came out, this game being the Tennessee game on Wednesday night, they came out as the aggressor, they came out as attacking, and they came out as the team that needed the win more than the other one. Or they, pl- they were playing as though they needed the win more than any other one. Uh, I love the guard play. They have a kid named J.D. Note off the bench, 19 points off the bench. Jalen Tate, their starting point guard, had 15 And Vance Jackson, a guy that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, former UConn Husky, uh, played well with 14 points off the bench. And so when I look at Arkansas, what I sit there and say is like, I know you're mad. You lost the game. I get it. But I think at the same time, you have to try and spin positives out of what is a negative one and two start. And that is that uh, two or three days ago, you didn't play Vance Jackson barely at all against Missouri. He's your sixth, seventh, eighth man. And all of a sudden, he comes up with 14 points off the bench. And if that guy can get 14 points and the other guys can contribute the way they do, you might be able to plug the hole and plug the gap with Justin Smith out for the season. And on top of that, you played a game where your best player, a kid by the name of Moses Moody, true freshman from Little Rock, didn't play well, and the team didn't go out of its way to get him in a rhythm. 
because he only took eight shots and he only finished with six points. It was his lowest career total since he's got there. And so you look at Arkansas and you sit there and say, okay, we just went on the road against the top five team. One, we had the right game plan. We attacked them. We were aggressive. We were the more aggressive team on the boards. They out-rebounded Tennessee by nine boards. They outshot them made eight three-pointers compared to Tennessee's five three-pointers, and I thought they had the right game plan. They just didn't win. They didn't win because they didn't get their best player, Moses Moody, the ball enough, and also because they turned the ball over 20 times. And so when I had a bunch of Arkansas fans tweeting at me saying, Torres, what's wrong with us? Are we good? Are we bad? Is this last year all over? We started good, and then we fell apart in conference play. No, I don't think it's that at all. I think right now Arkansas's biggest problem is that they have issues with the fixable things, right? There are some things in basketball, maybe even more so than football. In basketball, there are some things, if you're just not good at it, you can't get better over the course of the season, right? If you can't make three-pointers, that's not something you can fix. If you don't make foul shots, if you're shooting 65% from the foul line in November, January, February, it ain't going to change in March. How about last year's Arkansas team? They didn't start a play over 6-6. They couldn't rebound. And so because of it, there was never going to be a time in the season when they rebounded, and they just had to hope that it wasn't enough of an issue that would cost them games. And so I bring it up because you look at Arkansas right now, and their issues are fixable. What did I tell you? 22 missed layups against Missouri. And I don't know if that number is exactly right. It might have been 18, 19, 17, 14. It was too many. Three missed layups is too many. They missed, like, I I think it was legitimately 20-plus. So that was the first problem. That got fixed on Wednesday night when they played at Tennessee. They shot 53% from the field. And then on, on Wednesday night against Tennessee, the bigger issue was turning the ball over. 20 turnovers, which is unacceptable. And I know Tennessee is maybe the best defensive team in college basketball, but 20 turnovers when you're talking about a bunch of fourth and fifth year players in your backcourt. And so when I look at Arkansas, look, I know the schedule isn't getting any easier. I know the SEC is tough. (laughs) I know over these next couple weeks you got games against uh, LSU, Alabama, teams like that. But what I'm also saying is if you fix the fixable things, you got the guys to win games. You had Tennessee on the ropes. You were up at halftime. You outplayed them for a big chunk of that game even if you didn't get the win. As for Tennessee, I'll just say this. It was kind of the exact opposite. I was actually a little bit underwhelmed by Tennessee. I was a little worried about how they played in moments. I'm a little worried about some of their skill set. But they proved to be a veteran, confident team that does all the small things that matter right, right? Arkansas outplayed Tennessee in many ways, but they didn't do the little things. They didn't take care of the ball, whereas Tennessee finished the game with five turnovers. And because they took care of the ball, they, they were able to overcome the fact that they shot just five of 18 from three and that they got out-rebounded by nine. And so when I look at Tennessee, I think the biggest problems for them, mostly they just got to get shooting the ball better. I mean, this is a team that's shooting 36% on the season, but they're just nine of 29 in their last two games. Uh, One of their best guards, Santiago Viscovi, a guy that I like, I've talked about him a ton, he's from Uruguay. He averaged 11 points per game as a freshman last year. He's taken a little bit of a step back, and right now they're just not hitting a lot of shots. So, uh, listen, with Tennessee, I don't think there's any big picture, like incredible takeaway one way or the other. What I would say very simply is they are doing the little things right. They are taking care of the basketball. Now it's about hitting open jumpers. It's about continuing to play defense the way that you have. Um, and it's about fixing things that might take a little bit more, specifically on the, on the boards, specifically with effort, specifically with energy, because I do think that's one thing that I would be frustrated about if I was a Tennessee fan coming out of this game, is that you got out-rebounded, you got out-hustled, now you're lucky you take care of the ball, you're lucky you got a bunch of veterans on your roster, because that was a game that could have gotten away from you really, really, really quick, um, and so I just give I, I just give Tennessee credit for finding a way to win. And the good thing with Tennessee, what I will say really quickly before we get to Ryan Fowler, is the very simple fact that if you're a Tennessee fan, I think what you can take away is a saving grace. I think there's a possibility that you have played the two best teams in the SEC not named Tennessee. Alabama's really good. Alabama smoked Florida on Tuesday night, and I think Florida's actually a pretty good team. Alabama appears to have turned a corner. Arkansas, I know they're 1-2, and but I just laid out why I think they're pretty good. 
And so if you're Tennessee, uh, make some open jumpers uh, and fix the stuff that you can. But I like the fact that they're doing the things that you can control well. They're taking care of the basketball. They're defending really well. And I still think right now this is the best team that I've seen in the SEC. And it'll be fascinating to see going forward. All right, I think that's it for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, Well, my portion anyway. Uh, As I've mentioned, Ryan Fowler, by the way, I didn't even mention, but Creighton just destroyed Seton Hall. Creighton's another team, veteran team. We need to watch out for them because I think they're probably a little bit better than people realize, but they are a team to watch out for. But as I said, enough small talk, enough Torres talk. Let's get to Ryan Fowler. Uh, You can hear him every day, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 Central Time on Tide 100.9. And Ryan is uh, a great friend of mine. He's been on this podcast many times, and he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Alabama football. He's been covering the team for about 20 years, a great radio host, a guy that I love talking to. So I had a really fun conversation with him via Zoom about the game on Monday and all that stuff. I know the game is still a few days away, but it doesn't feel too early to start previewing it, start talking about the pluses and minuses, what Alabama does well, what Ohio State does well, because before you know it, uh, the game will be here. Before we get out of here, before I get to Ryan, I want to remind you guys, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, I think, but YouTube is popping. Aaron Torres, uh, you can find me on YouTube as well. So, yeah. A lot of good stuff, uh, but I do think that's it for now. Ryan Fowler coming up momentarily. In the meantime, before I get out of here, very briefly, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Now, Ryan Fowler from Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa to preview the College Football National Championship game. All right, joining me via Zoom. Uh, Yeah. As I mentioned a minute ago, uh, college football championship game slated to be played on Monday, assuming nothing crazy happens at Ohio State. But uh, the guy I've brought on many, many, many times to talk about Alabama, talk about the SEC, a good friend of mine, you can hear him two to six central time, tied 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. He is my Bama insider, Ryan Fowler, my man, what's going on, man? Man, I you know I'm looking at you, and normally man. we just talk on the on the airwaves. So I mean, I mean, man, you are you got this uh, you got this 5 p.m. shade kind of shadow there. Is are you are you doing a little something there, Torres? Well, I mean, you look good, yeah. man. Well, you know, first of all, it is amazing. We've probably done hundreds of phone calls at this time. First time, sure. We're- uh, yeah, and you know, not trying to get political to lead the show here, but. Uh, you know, I live in California. I'm not really allowed to leave the house. So, you know, why would I shave? I mean, the fact that I'm okay. I, you know, okay. DBA, okay. Uh, so, so is, is that a week? Is that a week right there? Is that, uh, yeah. hours? Got, uh, see, I'm a little bit of that Trevor Lawrence. It doesn't take me six months to grow a mustache, <laughs> but, uh, but for people that, you know, and I am going to post this video on YouTube, Brian, Ryan's got the James Harden beard going on. I got like Trevor Lawrence like six weeks from now at the combine kind of kind of buzz going. And what's going on, man? It's good to see you face to face. How you doing? Yeah, man, I'm doing great, man. Um, I mean, you know, we got Heisman trophies, we've got awards coming up, we've got national titles. I mean, I I think I talked with you earlier this week, and we talked about the number of things uh, that was on the table. I mean, it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet in Tuscaloosa. I mean, it's great, man. It's, it's great to, I mean, I enjoy sports. I, I don't know if, yeah, are we too. allowed as media? Are we allowed as media to enjoy sports? I mean, are we okay I with that? It. I mean, is it me? I love it, man. I mean, I've got the greatest job in the country. I love it. Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Well, no, first of all, we are allowed to love sports. I got the Tennessee Arkansas basketball game on in the background. We both love what we do. We're a dying breed that works in sports that actually enjoys sports. But, you know, I will say, 
you got a little extra pep in your step because you know for see see for people who don't go on radio with you every week and as i said two to six in uh central time tied 100.9 uh, you know, Alabama, it's you got to win every game. And you start two years ago with Trevor Lawrence tearing apart Alabama in the championship game last year Ed Orgeron in the locker room. Uh, we're going to beat their butt in recruiting. We're going to beat their butt here. We're going to beat their butt everywhere. You got an extra little pep in your step, my man. It feels like, you know, uh, uh, 18 months of, of frustration over two losses, by the way. We're not talking about Tennessee that goes three and seven in, in an SEC only slate. We're talking about two losses over the last two years, but you feel like you got an extra pep in your step, man. All right. So a couple of different things. Okay. I've been a funeral director for like two years. I mean, oh, yeah. you gotta remember Santa Clara was a whipping man. I mean, it was a beatdown. So I had to host the, the postseason after that, right. For the entire, and then we, we don't get there last year. So it's been a two year, but then, you know, it's also 2014 sugar bowl game against the Buckeyes. You know, we call, we're calling this Revenge Tour 2020, man. We're after everybody. Uh, you know, the Buckeyes, Ezekiel Elliott, I know you're not playing <laughs> out there, but uh, I'm sure Sean Dion Hamilton, who's playing for the Washington Redskins, uh, remembers what you did in 2014. And, uh, you know, payback's coming, man. Somebody's got to pay the price. Well, I was going to say that is – the vibe that I've gotten out of Tuscaloosa this year, and I haven't been down there. I don't, I'm not around the team every day like you, but for, for people who don't know, I mean, listen, I mean, I think it goes without saying Alabama it's championship or bust every single year. And last year was the first and to date only time that they didn't even make the playoff. And it does feel like, I mean, dating back to the Missouri game, September 26th, it feels like there there has been a, a you know singular focus uh, and anger and it, it, like like you know it, in this crazy season that we've had where guys are in guys are out Nick Saban's coaching he's not coaching maybe he'll be back it just feels like out of every team in college football this team has had a focus and uh yeah focus I think is the best word to it that I haven't seen from anybody else this year it's really kind of incredible from a distance. Well, I mean, take it into like this. Okay, I'm giving you a Tuscaloosa perspective here from a you know sports talk radio. You know, we take a lot of phone calls. We we kind of our claim to fame is we're the voice of the fan, the average fan who calls in and participates. But let's just take like Devontae Smith, who picked up the Heisman earlier this week. When you look at Devontae Smith, he said last year when he decided to come back that they had unfinished business. And and see, this is the challenge that is placed upon these players when they arrive. The upperclassmen place it on the younger guys. Don't you dare let the dynasty stop. You better not be responsible for allowing the dynasty to start. And Derrick Henry explained to me what those other guys had kind of placed on him responsibility-wise. And it's, it's, it's just kind of gave me an understanding that they don't like being the class that allowed it to drop. And so Devontae Smith co comes back. Najee Harris comes back. I mean, we're talking about guys who delayed million-dollar paydays to come back and win a national title. Uh, yes, there is something personal that these guys take, and I think they've kind of taken it up on themselves to reestablish this Alabama level of, of, of the, you know, the standard of winning uh, national championships in Tuscaloosa. Do you have an appreciation in college sports right now? It, and I love what we do. Like we said, I'm sure. so grateful, but you know, we're talking about, you know, transfer portal, this we're talking about, I saw the number one high school player in America, Corey Foreman of, uh, in football, he committed to USC and he talked about how USC is going to help him build his brand and all that stuff. Do you appreciate the fact that Tuscaloosa may be the last place in college sports where it's about the school, the name on the front of the Jersey, the name on the helmet more so than the back of the Jersey. Cause man, that, you know, that's what we all grew up on. And it's funny me doing all the basketball stuff that I do, you know, every spring, somebody inevitably says, well, you know, this guy, you know, maybe he'll be a, a an NBA draft pick, but you know, he could come back and win a national championship this year. And it's like, most guys don't care about that stuff anymore, at least not relative to what it was 8, 10, 12, 15 years ago. Do you at least appreciate that that is still the energy and the vibe that's coming out of Tuscaloosa because it's few and far between right now, man? You know, I never really 
thought about that was as you were talking about that. I mean, you know, maybe you're you're kind of giving me a perspective that you see uh, from an Alabama perspective. I, I do feel like that that is fair. I mean, I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about it, but but I mean, let's take it for just a minute. You know, we look at the name, image, and likeness. I think the state of California, there's many other states that are going to be incorporating that in the upcoming year. Uh, Florida is set to do it this year, right? I mean, we're in 2021 now. So, yeah. They're set to do it this year, the name, image, and likeness. So, you know, you may have a player that wants to wear a mouth guard sponsored by, you know, whomever, or, you know, he may want to have something that, you know, he benefits from an endorsement standpoint at certain schools. You know, are we going to lose some of that? Are we going to lose some of that authenticity of, of college sports that it's going to become? I mean, the other part of it is the transfer portal, right? We've got that rule now that you don't have to wait out. You, you know, you could you have this like freebie out there that you could transfer uh, to a school and you could be eligible immediately. Though that, that that's going to be incorporated. So you tie all that together. Maybe Nick Saban still preaches you know, the team concept. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why that, that maybe they have success. I I've told you on a private uh, call, I mean, not that I'm revealing anything, you know, world-class secrets here, but I told you that when you asked Devontae Smith or Mac Jones about the Heisman trophy, that it was almost like it, you were almost embarrassed them by asking them to talk about their personal individual achievements that, but it, it's what Nick Saban has done to make these guys to believe in us and we and uh, as our team, not as I and me, uh, that he he finds a way to process these guys. Uh, we call it Sabanized. They've been Sabanized. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's not just recent. That's been for 14 years uh, that Nick Saban has had this program uh, going in that direction. Take it, take it for granted, man. Don't take it for granted. I mean, because the world is changing around us. And, and I think, you know, Alabama and Alabama football is one of the last places where it still is about the team. It still is about the program. Uh, all right, let's get into the game. You know, you, you said uh, you had to host a, a funeral for essentially nine straight months following the Clemson loss in the title game. That was Trevor Lawrence's freshman year. He emerges on the scene. Um I guess it got better for a minute last year. You go nine and oh, sure. you lose to, to LSU and then Auburn end the season. Um, what is the uh, mind frame uh, energy in Tuscaloosa right now? Is it we have to finish? Well, obviously you have to finish it, but it is. Is it this is the end of of our destiny? Is it we're worried about Ohio State? Where are we at with everything? Well, listen, I think when you look at Ohio State, I mean, you, you got to look at their football team. I think they got a quality team. Uh, they, they've got some, you know, I, I got to be the first to admit. I mean, I know that we're kind of doing things that uh, are against our media code of ethics book. But, um, you know, I didn't value Ohio State going into that semifinal game. Maybe not as much as I should. After watching them play, you know, I think I have increased uh, my awareness about that team. Uh, Justin Fields, pretty incredible. Uh, backs, uh, wide receivers. I mean, they're a balanced football team. That They kind of remind me a little bit of some of the Nick Saban teams of just kind of having a guess of what they're going to do. Mobile quarterback, Justin Fields, the health side of things. Listen, I did a score prediction contest on my show earlier this week, and guys, it was um, a lot of scores. I mean, there, there was a lot of big scores, but there was also a lot of very close scores as well. And I'm talking about like, three, seven points. I probably had, you know, 10 or 15 of those that were, you know, not outside that Alabama, Ohio state game, right? Not Ohio state. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, just to, just to go back, I mean, I just, my, where I had Ohio state valued this time last week and where I have them now is significantly. And I think that's what I was trying to say is maybe just echo that from Alabama fans. I think they have respect for, uh, you know, Alabama, excuse me, Ohio State. And and I think this will be a, I think Alabama's going to win the game. I'm not going to back away from that. But I think Ohio State's going to present some challenges for Alabama, especially that defense that has struggled, you know, this year. So real quick, we'll get back to the game in a second. I, I do have kind of an interesting question for you. You come on my national okay. radio show with Arnie Spanier. And, you know, one thing we kind of joke about, I think you were on the night of the Cotton Bowl, maybe, when when Dan Mullen had all those bizarre comments about our season ended 11 days ago and this doesn't even count and all that stuff. And I look at the SEC right now, right? 
Alabama's quote-unquote biggest rivals, Auburn, just fired their coach. Tennessee, not in the best place right now, to put it delicately. Uh, LSU, who really knows where this thing is going to go? What programs in college football? Because you're an Alabama fan. You're on. Uh, you're not a fan, but you're a radio media personality. What fa- what programs do you look at? And maybe it is only Clemson and Ohio State. And you you say, I respect the way that they do things. Maybe they can't beat Bama, but I think they're well coached. I think that you know they're accountable. I think they play hard every week. Are there any other programs outside those two? Is it only those two? Do you have a different opinion on Clemson? Maybe after Dabo's kind of antics the last couple of weeks, because you know that's kind of the curiosity thing to me. Is like you said, it feels like the. Alabama fan base has a newfound respect for Ohio State. And I'm curious, is it just the Buckeyes? Is it anybody else? Well, I think it's just temporary. Uh, You know, you look at Ohio State, you just kind of get respect for what they were able to do. But then when you back up and you take a look at uh, Clemson has had respect, but I mean, look at them. I mean, you know, they've had to deal with losing championships and kind of getting beat. And so I think when you take a look at programs, you know, you could take a look and you could say, well, well Georgia uh, excels in recruiting, but then Kirby Smart mismanages the team. And so, you know, you like, you know, you have this like checklist and you start checking things off and you're like, okay, well, this team does this well, this team does this well. But when you look at all the different boxes, like Nick Saban develops talent, he puts guys in the NFL, he develops them from five stars to first rounders in the NFL. Uh, you look at winning championships. I don't know, and this is setting up for probably an ego comment here. I don't know if there's anybody right sure. now that is is on the level of where Alabama checks all of these boxes, where they're doing it, NFL recruiting, uh, graduating players. Is I mean they're not in the top two or three, but they're in the top ten. In, in graduation rate, I mean, they they get players. And even Devontae Smith, one year ago when he said, I'm coming back, that was one of his goals. He said, I want to come back and get my degree because I know football is not going to be forever, and I want to do something, you know, post-football. So I think he puts, you know, like Mac Jones, straight-A student. He has, He's walking out of here with two degrees. Wow. Uh, so, you know, you, you back up and you look at that. I think Nick Saban checks a lot of boxes. I think there's some programs that have the potential. You know, you, you look at Texas A&M. They've got money. They've got facilities. They've got resources. Now they've got a $75 million coach. I think we've started seeing them take some steps in the right direction. I don't think they're there yet, but I think in the SEC West, they could be a they could be a major player. Uh, you look at Dan Mullen. I think he's a really good football coach. He's arrogant. Uh, whew. I mean, he's a ego, northeasterner maniac. like me. He's a northeasterner. Oh, is that? He's from New Hampshire. I'm from Connecticut. It's kind of the same thing, you know. You know, you know. I walk around here with a little, you know, chip on my shoulder, and I think he does too. So, well, but 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 I mean, you smile. I don't know sure. if Dan Mullen ever smiles. I mean, it's true. So, uh, so you just you look at a lot of these programs, and and I think that you see so many coaches that get fired because they have these expectations. But I think they're almost unreasonable because they see what Alabama's doing and they want to be like Alabama, and that gets people in trouble. Uh, you know, I, I always say it. Uh, it's like the individual that wants to live in the rich side of town, but he can't afford it. So he goes out and gets an interest-only loan uh, and, and lives with the, the Jones and the Smith, but he really needs to be, you know, where you and I live, right? I mean, we sure. need to be out the – uh, the middle folks uh, out there, but it, it's there's a lot of programs that mortgage uh, their their program to try to live up with the Alabama, the Clemson, the Ohio State. But I, I think, uh, I mean, I think you're right. I think Ohio State w- would check some of those boxes. I think Clemson would check it. Georgia would. I don't think Kirby Smart can is a dynamic coach. I think he's probably about a B uh, level coach. Uh, I look at the talent. I think he mismanages it. Uh, you look at JT Daniels. I think he made some mistakes there. You know, we're playing against a quarterback that Justin Fields, I think you can really put some responsibility on Kirby smart. I think he mismanaged that. Now the, you know, it doesn't seem like he takes any criticism for very few people, but I think it's fair to throw, uh, that those at, at his, uh, feet and say, Hey, you mismanaged that quarterback room. So 
Well, and you were probably in the building when the only time that Justin Fields got on the field was a fake punt uh, against Alabama and whatever it was, 2018 SEC title game or whatever. So, yeah, I, I was just curious because, you know, you guys are on top of the mountain and I think there's a lot of code. I, there are guys that I think are, are, are reasonably good or getting there or are dynamic or are interesting. But I will say, man, you know, you're right from top to bottom when you look at these programs. And I, I think personally, um, it's a problem for college football is how good Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State are at this particular moment in time. But that's another conversation for another day. But, you know, I, I, there's, four, you know, probably in any given year, I think realistically, probably 11 or 12 teams in the SEC that know they have absolutely no shot. Uh, some of them try to talk themselves in otherwise, but I don't know, man. It, it was just kind of something I was curious about. Uh, back to the game real quick. I mean, any obviously, look, Justin Fields, super dynamic. You know, when I look at this game, and I'll talk more about it on Monday's show for people who are listening, but, you know, I, I think the one thing that stands out to me, Ohio State's secondary was not very good this year. Uh, the one thing they do have going for them, they dominated the line of scrimmage. They were able to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence. What is like, in your opinions, I hate to do like the cliche radio guy thing, but keys to the game, things that matter, things that are going to be a, an X factor one way or another. Obviously, you're looking at it from the Alabama perspective, but, you know, you can flip it and, you know, if Alabama doesn't do this, we can't win. But what are those factors in your opinion? Well, they've got to take away their number one option in, in the receiving side of things. They've got to be able to shut that uh, down. But they also have to be able to control uh, the mobile quarterback in Justin Fields because that has been a uh, kind of a kryptonite for Nick Saban. Yep. Uh, so you could back up and you look at Justin Fields. I think that's the part that you, you kind of add in there of what he's going to be able to do uh, mobility-wise. Christian Harris was a little sore, remember, when you play a lot of games, Ohio State, I know you're not really, uh, up on that, but uh, Arkansas-Alabama game, you know, the first play of the game defensively, Christian Harris, the all-star linebacker, goes down with a shoulder injury, and he's still recovering. So I think when you think about that, you, you think, okay, is it, he needs to be able to spy uh, Justin Fields and to be able to keep him contained. Uh, the offensive line needs to to play like they won the Joe Moore award, like they did earlier this week, Chris Owen stepping in for Landon Dickerson. I think you got to watch that. He had a great game. Uh, and I say great. I mean, probably a B plus type game. He made some mistakes, but I think he'll be uh, those nervous jitters will be out of there and he'll be able to step in and, and really play an anchor side of role. Uh, but Mac Jones needs to play like he's played all season. Devontae Smith, uh, needs to come out and play Najee Harris. Sark needs to have a great game. And and you look at, you know, the distraction with Texas. Is that a distraction? Will it be a distraction? This, those things are, you know, if they check all the boxes, if Alabama plays their game and they, you know, Najee Harris picks up production, Devontae Smith picks up yardage uh, in the air and stretching that field, Mac Jones is, is on. I think Alabama wins the 18th national title in school history. Real quick, any update on Jalen Waddle? I think for people, I think anybody listening to this would know this, but, you know, All-American top 10 draft pick type wide receiver. He got hurt against Tennessee. He's been out six, seven weeks. There are people saying that uh, he will be potentially, that he's been practicing back for this game. Do you have any thoughts or update or opinion on that? Yeah, I, I think when I look at Jalen Waddle, I've heard some buzz that uh, he is he's back out on the practice field. He was dressed in pads. Uh, he did some things. Uh, if you're Ohio State, you're going to have to spend some time preparing for him. If it's Nick Saban just using some gamesmanship here to maybe make the Buckeyes prepare, I think they're going to have to take a look at Jalen Waddle and try to find a way, you know, how are they going to defend? The secondary is a weakness for Ohio State. Their yes. front is a strength. But when you take a look at John Mechie, you take a look at Billingsley out of the backfield, excuse me, uh, from that tight end row, Najee Harris out of the backfield, Devontae Smith, uh, Miller Forstall. There's a lot of weapons that you're going to have to count for. And if you add Jalen Waddle into that conversation, uh, I don't know if they can handle what we know right now. If you add Jalen Waddle that, I mean, Alabama may be in the 50s. Uh, now, the other thing is, I don't know if uh, – you know, they can slow down the Buckeyes. Uh, there's a defensive concern. So take the over, man. Take the mm -hmm. over in this game.
Well, that's what, you know, as I start to look at what this game could look like, that's my first inclination as well. So I'm guessing with Justin Fields, he's incredible. I'm guessing there's some worries defensively about B. And I think you brought up a good point, a point that, you know, I know when Arnie Spanier and I on Fox Sports Radio were talking about it, um, we talked a lot about mobile quarterbacks, Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, uh, Deshaun Watson. These are the guys that have given Nick Saban trouble. So I'm guessing that's probably your biggest concern is Justin Fields' ability to make plays. Sure. I mean, extend plays. And, you know, you extend plays. Will Josh Job and Patrick Sertain be able to take that number one option away? Will they be able to take the other options away? You, you think they will be able to. Uh, and then you, you have to ask yourself, are we going to get a Justin Fields performance like he threw up against Clemson? How much of that was the motivation Clemson disrespecting the Buckeyes? Can you get them up two weeks in a row to play inspired football? Because Nick Saban has not given them any bulletin board material. Uh, I think Nick Saban voted him fifth in, in his coaches poll. Dabo voted him 11. So I don't know if they can play that inspired football, but uh, you never know. I mean, coaches have a way of manipulating different things. Uh, maybe they use Kristen Saban's tweet earlier this week <laughs> with uh, uh, COVID-19. I mean, I don't know what, you know, I'm trying to find something. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be the Dabo disrespect. Uh, and uh, I, I think that was part of the uh, the game that they played. Uh, their focus, their level of focus was, was laser-like. And uh, I don't know if they'll have that in this game. I think Alabama, like I said, Alabama wins this game. Uh, but I think it's a, you know, it's a third, fourth quarter game. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny because I did talk with Arnie about this a little bit is the idea of could you not be as motivated for a national championship game? But I think there's a real possibility that from Ohio State's perspective, that's the case. I mean, people forget, but they lose to Clemson last year in the playoff Clemson. They actually outgained Clemson. They were up 16 nothing. And their whole season was basically built around getting back to the playoff and beating Clemson. Not saying they won't be motivated, uh, but it's, it's something to think about. Uh, two quick questions. I'll let you go. First one. So you mentioned Steve Sarkeesian. He's out the door. One, were you as surprised with everything? Because I like to think that I have a reasonable finger on the pulse of what's going on. I'm not trying to break every story. I don't break stories. It's not really what I do, but I try to kind of know what's going on behind the scenes, what could be happening. I was blindsided by the by not only not not necessarily the firing as much as having Steve Sarkeesian lined up as a hire and then two for the love of god Adam Gase is not really going to be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama right please please I don't even care I'm not even an NFL fan but I got enough friends in New York being from Connecticut that just just got rid of the guy and I just can't imagine that dude coaching college football I'm sorry I can't well, I mean, you, you look at uh, – there's a lot of options for the coordinator. When you're, so, yes. If you're, you know, handing the keys to a uh, sports car, uh, you can go out and get a lot of guys. So I think there's sure. a lot of guys uh, that will be calling Nick Saban, hey, I want that job, I want that job. So uh, you just trust Nick Saban. It's kind of like recruiting. You don't worry about four and five stars because he's going to bring them in. So I think the offensive coordinator, regardless of who it is, if it's Bill O'Brien – uh, if it's whoever, I mean, if it's Tom Herman, I mean, I'm just throwing out names at this point, but you know, if you bring in a quality guy, that's uh, looks like a rehab program to get a guy back in a head coaching uh, spot, then Nick Saban has done that uh, pretty well. But I, let me, let me go to my code of ethics book here. Just one, cause I mean, you've got me to break all these media code of ethics. Real okay, quick. Let me, let me let's look do real it. Um, you want me to admit that I didn't see this Texas thing coming. I mean, I mean, yeah. I've admitted Absolutely. I did not see it coming. I had no, I had no clue. I'm not supposed to say that. I had no clue. I, it was, uh, it was a shock to me. They mm -hmm. kept it uh, quiet. And maybe that does tell you that Nick Saban is the most powerful person in college football. If he can keep Texas's mouth shut for a few days. Right. <laughs> Very true. Very true. No, I, um, it was, it was stunning to me, man. And credit to Sark, man. I was out here when he was at USC. Uh, you know, I, I told you privately, but, you know, you hear stuff. You don't know totally what's true, but the guy definitely had, you know, demons like we all do. And so to see him come full circle and end up back at Texas, sure. um, I'm excited for him. You know, we'll talk about it when I'm on your show, but I actually think USC trained him well for Texas. 
I don't think people realize just how crazy and delusional USC's fan base is. Maybe it's not quite Texas, uh, Alabama, Georgia, whatever, but it's pretty close. Last question. Uh, if Alabama does win, I mean, what what does this mean, right? Like, like because for some – like, LSU wins the title last year. Ed Orgeron, he's a Cajun. He comes back. He delivers a title. He topples Nick, Sa- or to- topples Nick Saban in Alabama. You know, uh, Urban Meyer comes back, wins a title. We know what it would mean to Ohio State if the Big Ten – if they were to win in a season where we didn't even know if they were going to play – you know, Bama's going on, you know, what I, What would this be? Six titles with Saban, five titles. I lost track, basically, is what I'm trying to say. But it does feel like there was the revenge tour factor. There is kind of the evolution of him as a coach where now they're putting up 50 points rather than trying to win every game 13 to 7. Uh, what would it mean, not only to the fan base, but to him? I mean, his legacy is clearly set in stone as the greatest of all time or the greatest of our generation anyway. But what would it mean to, for Alabama to take home this title? I mean, it would be, the, as you said, that you check a lot of those boxes with a revenge tour. Uh, but also keep in mind that Nick Saban, with this win, would go past Coach Paul Bear Bryant with national titles. So you, you kind of calculate that. I mean, I know that'll be a part of the offseason topic uh, because there's still a lot of the old guard that thinks that Coach Bryant is the greatest coach of all time. And when I look at Nick Saban, I think he's the greatest coach of all time. So that will be a debate. Uh, you you kind of maybe reestablish Alabama's level of dominance because they've slipped for a couple of years uh, with not winning a national title. So you try to reestablish that. But I also think that we begin to have a conversation from a historical perspective of where would this team rank all time when we look at this Alabama football team? And I think, you know, we talk about the award season. We talk about the All-Americans. I mean, think about the All-Americans from 134 last year. They're up to 141 now, 141 first-team All-Americans. So you go from 134 to 141. So you back up and you begin to add that all together. Uh, you got to kind of say, hey, look at this team. Is this a historic season? Uh, don't want to put the cart before the horse, but I think you have that conversation. Is this one of the greatest teams of all uh, time? And, and I think, you know, Devontae Smith has walked out of here ahead of Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Ozzie Newsom as the greatest wide receiver to ever wear a crimson jersey. Uh, but I think you walk out looking at this season, historical significance, uh, not just saving past Bryant, but maybe this is one of the greatest college teams of all time if they get the job done in Miami Gardens. Yeah, it was really funny on this show. I mean, it was probably about three, four weeks ago, maybe with a game or two left. I said, I think this is the most dominant to that point in the season Saban team ever because back in the day it was – you had the defense, but not the great offense. And this year you had the incredible offense, but for a couple of years there, the defense hadn't really caught up And this year to a large degree. They have now, I know you have some frustrations following them day to day, but it's, it's been incredible. Uh, and I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to watch. And so uh, Ryan Fowler you can hear him two to six central time tied 100.9 the game. I just put away my notes. So that was kind of dumb right before I outro you, but uh, Ryan C Fowler on Twitter uh, anything else? I mean, it's, I, I think I know what wall to wall coverage is for the next couple of weeks, uh, in, on your show and what you're doing. Well, you know, I just want to say that I'm the best looking radio guy in the entire country. And, sure. I, and I know that, you know, after well, watching I you, you that, but yeah, well, I mean, after watching, I mean, I thought you were in the close running, but you know, just being able to see your face, um, you know, you, you know, you're behind the pack. Um, it, it's do- so I do need a yeah. haircut, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh, yeah, are you allowed to get haircuts? I mean, are you allowed to get haircuts? I mean, is the, I mean, you got pocket knives. I mean, could the wife get the scissors out and, and do some things? I mean, not that I have this problem. I mean, I'm needing a haircut too, and we can go to the barbershop here. Barbershops are closed. Um, I did get an illegal haircut at my house. I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> I wanted the world to know I tagged our governor because uh, I'm not very happy with uh, a lot of things here, but trying to uh, keep it out of politics and focus on sports. But yeah, no, I cannot go. I cannot go to the barbershop right now. Sure. Um, sure. I got, football. you're all right. You're all right. I mean, you're second place, man. I mean, you're okay. I mean, you're, you're behind. Uh, so you're okay. You're okay. In my book. It's good to see you Torres. It's, it's a lot of fun to talk football with you. 
Ryan, it's always a pleasure. Dude, we're going to have to have you on to talk some Bama basketball. Best team in the Woo, SEC, baby. baby. Woo! Oh, my goodness. Nate Oates. Nate Oates, man. How do you like that? Nate Oates. Beat uh, Florida and Tennessee in back-to-back weeks. Final big, four in Tuscaloosa, man. Final four. Big friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Nate Oates. Uh, I would. I don't know if you can name three players on the team. It's okay though. We still. Uh, we still love what you do. You're gonna cover Alabama. Oh come on! You you don't you don't you don't think I can really? Do, you, you don't you don't think I can? I know you know John Petty because he's been there about eleven years. But right, yeah, Herb Fowler, Jones. Yeah. Herb Jones. There I mean, you go. All, all the guys. Yeah. Uh, Quinterly right, was out against Florida, but uh, okay. he was. Okay. He was Javon Quinterly. Okay. I don't know, if you know that, but uh, Ryan Fowler. Yeah, I was. I was struggling with the first name, but I got you know the last name right. Side 100.9. Follow him on Twitter, Ryan C. Fowler. Ryan, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, we love you guys, man. Roll Tide from Tuscaloosa. You guys have an awesome evening, man. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.